Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits, coming to you from the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California, USA, and other places too. I am your hostess with the mostest, Emma. Who else is in the house tonight? Who's in the house? Talk to me! I just saw Kathy in the background. Yes. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> well, she's bringing me pizza, darling. You do it like this. You go, you go, Bagel, who do we have in the studio tonight? <laughs> uh, nobody. <laughs> 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 I am coming to you from my shop in Venita, Oregon, where the air right now is clear. Thank goodness. I'm happy to be breathing nicely at the moment. Fingers crossed it stays that way. Yes. And... Jim. Yes. Make it Jim, son. What's happening? Uh, ride dirt bikes as much as you can. They're fun. Good stuff. And you Lovely. know, for, for those of us watching a video, you appear to be coming from inside the sprocket on a rear wheel. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sprocket of the CRF 450. Fantastic. And running the board tonight, he's a very brave fellow. It's John. Hey, everybody. Stumpy John, or just John, whatever you want to call me. And if you got any complaints about the sound or the podcast, please send your complaints to Phil at clevelandmoto.com because right. we don't want to hear it. I'm doing the best I can, everybody. So, <laughs> John is bailing water. Well done. Yes, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the complaints department is Cerrado. <laughs> We've got a few things going on tonight. Um, Jim and John have a ride report because Jim has been doing his favorite thing ever in the world, and that is riding dirt bikes around in the desert. You took John along. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, ah, we're going to talk about my chair collapsing. We're going to talk about what happened in the garage today. We're going to talk about what happened at Mototown this week. Mm. But Bagel, yes. what's new in your life, darling, aside from Continental Whitewall 350 by 10? Yes. Well, I'm getting ready to put a set, or at least, at least one new white wall on my Stella. Yes. Um, and getting the bike ready for uh, the Run from the Sun Rally, which is coming up next weekend. That's How many the, miles is that, darling? Oh, I'm going to guess it's probably going to be 200 miles or more for, during the whole oh, weekend. Oh, God, that's nothing for you. Well, yeah, but this is on a small bike. This is on, on the Stella 150. So right. it's, it's a little bit more challenging. But the uh, there's a ride out to the coast, out to, uh, uh, I think it's to Newburgh, Oregon. Okay. And, um, yeah, we're camping out there for the weekend, uh, right out uh right on one of the, the beaches there. And uh, yeah, it should be a good time. Weather looks like it's going to be great. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. We're hanging out with all your scooter chums yes, and talking yes. about scooter things. Yes, with the Top Dead Center Scooter Club from Eugene. Oh, okay, cool. very good. Can you, ride, um, can you ride on the beach up there? I don't think so, but I'm not but positive. You're going to anyway. Well, I, I'm not planning on it. Not in the Stella. <laughs> I don't want to get it covered in salt water. <laughs> but you know, um, to those of us who've never uh, uh, who've never seen it, or particularly for people who are listening um, to this in another country, you know, the coast mm -hmm. really 
I mean, the whole of the California and Oregon and Washington coast is beautiful. But the particular stretch, if you take a kind of line from Eureka all the way up to Portland, it's absolutely glorious. And the tree line comes all the way down to the beach, which is absolutely wild. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was actually uh, just out there uh, it was just, just this, week, this weekend with my girlfriend on a drive. And uh, we were commenting on, on what the coastline is is like compared to California up here. And one of the things I noticed was exactly that. The trees come all the way down to the come all the way down to the beach. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it's gorgeous. Good, good, good. So that's with you. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what we did today. It's been a bike selling bonanza today. Or oh, has it? We've got a lot of things in the fire. Wow. Um, Jim, you think you might have sold the FC6? Yeah, I know. Stranger things have happened. But uh, yes, it, after lying dormant for a little while, we come, last time it hadn't been registered since 2019, so bad on me. Don't do that. Yeah, That's that'll cool. cost yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, so lesson learned there. Anyway, I knew it anyway, dumbass. But um, <laughs> there was a young lady at the garage, her, anyway, and she was riding a Nighthawk 250, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, and I'm not sure what her connection was, but really, really nice. And I said, hey, that's a super cool bike. That's what I started riding when I started riding motorcycles, you know, did 1500 miles on one before I stepped up. And she's like, cool. And I'm like, yeah, I stepped up to this bike. And I'm like, you know, if you're happened to looking for a new bike, I have to have one, you know, I mean, just throwing it out there like I do. No one never, you know, usually don't, nothing happens. She goes, I am actually. So I was like, great. So hustled down to the house, cleaned it up a little bit. I mean, it's already pretty clean. Um, Brought it back down to the garage, and uh, and yeah, we may have found a buyer. I think she uh, she had a good time on it. I would say, Emma, don't you? After when she came back from a run on the freeway, oh, she had that glow. No, she was huh. clearly a young lady in love. Yeah. She had this, this rosy glow about her. Um, I was because around town you can't get a feel for a, a bike like that, an inline four sport bike. And so I'm like, well, you know, maybe get it up in the range a little bit, blah, blah, blah. And then she was gone for a little while. And Emma made a comment, I think, like, I think the FC seems to be missing. Um, but as it turns out, she came back because she took it on the freeway. And she got to taste a little bit of that inline four power. And she was hooked. The other thing is she goes, like, three different groups of people were, like, nodding at me. She's like, a group of girls gave me the thumbs up. Um, so she was pretty jazzed. And I think that would be a great bike for her. I mean, that was the bike I went to after the 250. Um, it's, you know, it's an easy bike to ride. It's got moderate miles on it. I think it's fairly sorted out. Um, you know, we cleaned the chain was a little, uh, neglected, we'll say. So oh, your chain was disgusting, Jim. <laughs> At the beginning of the day it was, but I thought it cleaned up, cleaned up quite nice. Um, so she was jazzed. I tell you what, I know when she got back on that Nighthawk 250, she was done with that bike. Um, <laughs> so I got a feeling I'll be getting a phone call tomorrow. And, and we're going to give her a great deal because the bike needs a home. I've been a, a shitty owner. So we'll stoke her out with a fun little upright sport bike. And uh, she'll be the, the talk of the town. So, yeah, I thought that went well, Emma. Yeah, I think so. I, I think you're going to do quite well. But that wasn't the only sale. Hang on. I'm fighting with Zoom right now. Can you guys see me? Yes. yes. Well, I wonder why I can't see you. That's very, oh, there you go. Um, I can see you again now. So John has 
And actually, I'm not going to say you persuaded your wife because me and your wife had a little talk. Um, and she has always harbored a desire to ride a motorcycle, hasn't she? Well, that's what she told me. I think she has. You know, she wrote a little bit supposedly when she was younger, long before I knew her. Right. Um, so I think she's, and I and honestly, I think she's equally attractive to the um, to the lifestyle and the community as she is in, in the writing itself. So yeah, I mean, yeah. the the one thing. If you own a motorcycle, you're never short of friends and you're never short of things mm -hmm. to do. And I that is appealing. Um, so anyway, I have an absolutely gorgeous little rebel at Mototown. Yeah. And you two are coming up tomorrow to have a look at it. Yeah. Take a look and see. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think she'll fall in love with it the first time she sees it. But of course, I might be a little partial because I'm selling it, but um, we'll see. I, yeah, I, yeah. I hope it works out for her. I mean, the, yeah. the thing that is important to note here, and this is for anyone whose friend is starting out, whose spouse is starting out, get them on the best bike possible because there is nothing worse. If you're starting out, if you're learning from scratch, and you were struggling with a ratty-ass, hokey bike, it can really put you off completely. Yeah. Um, so just you really want the best bike possible, the, the easiest bike to ride, that fits you well, that does everything you should, that you don't really have to struggle with, and you can concentrate on mm -hmm. mastering the technique. Well, and I think also what's helpful is um... – what we're blessed with is a lot of women riders also. And I think that that sort of allows her to have a, have a connection with other riders like her, even Mo, even the young lady with the, with the Nighthawk, her name is Mo. She came in and just having her say to Melissa, Hey, yeah, I was tough at first, but then, you know, I really got it going and now I'm stepping up this bigger bike. I just think seeing those kinds of folks and hearing those stories mm -hmm. um, from other people who, I mean, Mo's even shorter than my wife is. So, um, and she jumped right on that FC six, like a champ. So, so I thought that was great. And, uh, and I'm glad that she can connect with other, other women riders too. We know it was cool. we, had, um, we had two young ladies on great bikes today. We had that Nighthawk 250 and then the Rebel 250. Exactly. Right? Two young ladies getting in the bike. I actually went for a ride. I, uh, Ella, I think, was her name with the, the, the Rebel. She yes. was leaving. I was running up the garage right when you left, Emma. And she's like, oh, I'm going for a ride. And I'm like, oh, I go, but I got to, you know, put everything away. And she's like, oh, I'll wait. So she helped me put the chairs away. And we took a nice little ride up in the hills. But what great bikes to start out. I mean, you know, they can flat foot easily. They're you know, tons of muscle memory. So it was cool. Yeah, I think I'm glad I'm glad your wife came by today, John, because you got to see, you know, people doing their thing. Well, yeah. you know, just as a reminder of the Rebel, um, and this is the old twin-cylinder Rebel we're talking about. I mean, the, the new single-cylinder Rebel is a great bike in its own... Yes, the old ones. Yeah, really. But the old twin-cylinder Rebel had an interesting story. It's a world bike. And, I mean, Honda designed it for the world and it's very easy for us here in america land because we like big things we like big bikes and everything start off on but for a lot of the world and many countries in europe the rebel 250 is an aspirational bike i mean this is your forever bike and honda understand this and built them that way and the production line at honda for the Rebel, it had its own production line. 
and it was mostly inhabited by the guys who were close to retirement who were really good at their job and really really meticulous and built this thing to a really really high standard and people tend to forget that about the rebel of just what a very very high standard that bike was built to they because build those in japan very don't important they? Bike for honda don't they don't they build those in japan yes oh yeah mm -hmm. the twin cylinder ones were always built in japan yep on That's its how you own production line very very unusual um so a great little bike and a good place to start yeah. um so what have i been doing at mototown um yes tell us. Things, actually um the black shadow went home to napa right. and I, you know i'm gonna be honest with you i mean it left a big hole in the workshop but i wasn't sorry to see it go and i think my insurance company breathed a sigh of relief no doubt and i was gonna ask you about that i bet you were glad to have it and glad to see it go back to its home. Well, i am because i mean you know if if you're messing around with 200 250 motorcycles um you know inevitably i'm not actually frightened as much about a break-in because everyone says oh are you scared about somebody breaking in and taking them i'm more scared about fire i am mm. so paranoid about fire i've got fire extinguishers everywhere in that place and of course yeah. as, as everyone who's been down to motortown knows it's kind of long and narrow and my biggest fire extinguisher is way down at the back on the back wall because you know if i'm working that back there and a fire breaks out I've got to go through it to get out. So I'm going to have to fight it. So I've got this giant 20 pound fire extinguisher, which I'll grab like Thor's hammer. <laughs> but, um, I yeah. thought you were going to write it out. You're going to hop on top of it and write it out like a witch's broomstick. Exactly. <laughs> In fact, I think there was a video on YouTube about guys on a Russian bus or something. Yeah, you've seen the it. Subway. <laughs> on the subway and he's riding the fire extinguisher. That'd be me. Um, but it was, you know, I, that bike had been a huge part of my life for three months. And I mean, when you take on a bike like that, it's not like working on another bike. You really put your body and soul into it. And I did. And it was almost like giving a child up for adoption. You know, it, 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 it had really occupied every working moment of my life for three months. And I'm not going to lie, I did other jobs, but it was really the main attraction was always the Black Shadow and it was always there looming. And I knew I had to finish it. And, you know, you never finish them to your satisfaction, but the owner was happy. And that's the important thing. So well, I'm just um, curious, you what, what was the hardest part about going through that? I know we talked a little bit about sourcing parts and all that kind of stuff, but what was, enough, was there any one like crux of the thing? No, they British bikes have never, ever, ever given me the slightest problem with parts. Any British bike made after the Second World War, and many of them made before as well, there is not a single part you cannot get. It's a slightly different vibe because you have to kind of wade, wade your way through the good stuff and the crap stuff. And mm. just because it's expensive, it doesn't mean it's the good stuff. Um, so you've got three choices. If you, if you get a British bike on the ramp and it needs a part, you can either get a new old stock part. And that's, of course the best 
because it's if the bike's from 1951, it's 1951 quality part, which is very, very high. However, it's been sitting on some bloody shelf in the back of somebody's garage for 70 years. So it might not be in the best condition, even though it's new. That's choice number one. And then you get into the repop parts. And there are some very, very good repop parts. I've got a Triumph on the ramp right now, which needed new rear shocks. I ordered a set of shocks from Hagon, who were a, quite a famous British manufacturer. And I was absolutely tickled how beautifully made they were. They're absolutely gorgeous. The welding and the paint finish and the chroming on them is just, it, it's superb. But then I've ordered other stuff from supposedly good manufacturers and thought, my God, I wouldn't put this piece of crap on the bike and end up refurbishing yeah. the original part to a standard that's kind of better. So it is a crapshoot, but parts are never a problem. It's just technique. When you're laying your hands on a 70-year-old bike, you have to kind of understand it was built differently. So how much of it is, you know, you know out of a book is rebuilding this thing, and how much is you just kind of take it apart, look and understand how it Oh, it's all taking it apart and looking at it. It's all, there are books. Right. And the book comes in handy for clearances, for end float, for shimming, something as simple as valve clearances. Who the hell knows what the valve clearances are for a black shadow? So you look it all up, and it just so happens it's zero. You know, you just twiddle the push rods, and there's your zero clearance. Um, but in terms of actually laying your hands on it and working it, you really you take it apart you figure out how it was done yeah i've never seen a book um at your shop you know at, your, at, the, at the old shop or oh it's all in my head darling yeah well literally i remember remember i was over one day and we were trying to pull some sort of clutch off a three-wheeled some sort of a motor and we were just doing it next thing you know you got this other wheel puller on it popped it off but no, mm -hmm. I've, never seen, I've never seen a book around what you're working on ever? I use reference material. Um, you know, I know a lot about bikes, not because I'm a particularly great mechanic. I've just been around for a long time. And if you throw enough shit at somebody, it's going to stick. Um, but I still use reference material. It's just, you know, I hate to sound pretentious. It's just easier to get it online. And as yeah. long as you understand the source you're getting it from, you can just brrr, um, yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, that's right. That's where I went to go for the uh, the shop manual for the Stella that I've been working right. on right now. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and again, the trick online it's it's the same as buying parts. You've got to sort out the wheat from the chaff, as it were, because there is a lot of misinformation out there. But generally. Owners clubs are great sources of information. Um, Facebook clubs, of all things, Facebook groups, one brand only Facebook groups, you know, um, yeah. my Trident, my purple Trident. I mean, all the Trident Facebook groups. And, you know, it's amazing what kind of nuggets of information you can get on there. Ooh, oh, yeah. Exciting times for my Trident. So, oh, yeah. Yes. The one thing I don't like about that bike, aside from the fact that it blows up when you dried it fast, <laughs> is um, it's got the original carburetors on. And 
as you know, with British carburetors, you've got to tickle them. You've got to flood them. And of course, mm. fuel gushes everywhere. And the trouble is with the Trident, it's kind of like in the engine, there's this neat little tray underneath the carburetors that's kind of self-made. And mm. the fuel tends to pull there. And so it kind of soaks down into the gaskets and dries all the gaskets and makes a terrible mess. Mm. And I've been after a set of solution for some carburetors. But don't ask me why. I was online on an Australian website, and I just bought myself a glorious set of pumper carbs from Mikuni OZ. Uh-huh. Already assembled, jetted for the T150 with accelerator pumps. Really nice set of carbs. And it wasn't unreasonable. I've just wow. got to wait a few weeks for when it comes from Japan. So I'm excited. That's going to be a box I'm looking forward to opening. And it just so happens I've got a Trident on the ramp right now, and I'm going to sell him my old carbs because he wants to keep that bike original, and he needs carbs. Mm. So it all comes around. Perfect. Um, That's great. And those old carbs are probably worth more than what you paid for the new ones, right? um, I'm probably, you know, I'm trying to be fair about it. The new carbs cost me, I think, a thousand bucks. And I'll probably sell him the old ones. I mean, mine are very, very nice indeed. They're a nicer set of Trident carbs as I've ever seen. Yeah. But I'll probably sell him them for 600 bucks. No oh, wow. And okay. so you know, he'll be happy with that. I'll be happy with that. It's an upgrade for me. It's an, definitely an upgrade for him. Um, you know, sweetness and light all round, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's Excellent. About. Very nice. Um. And then uh, I just wanted to finish because I don't want to turn this into the Emma show. So the next (laughs) Vincent is already on the ramp. And that one is probably going home on Tuesday. And that's the 500 Comet. That's the Ah, little cylinder. And I've been riding that around. What a charming little bike. That is as much fun as you can have with 20 horsepower. Do you so, ever want to dress up in period dress and ride around Monterey and down I wouldn't the mind wearing mile dress drive? Yeah. No, I'd love to. Wouldn't that be great? Dressing up <laughs> like something out of the 50s. And yes, just- yes. <laughs> but I tell you what, if you were riding a vintage motorbike, and those Vincents look vintage, there's nothing modern about them, especially with a British vintage number plate, license plate on it, you'd be amazed. You stop traffic. You ride that th- thing through a city center, cars will stop and look at you. Hmm. I bet. Yeah, it's great. And, of course, it's a 500 single. It's got a big fat cam in it, so it's, bump, 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 bump. it's loud. <laughs> and it draws people attention because nothing sounds like that. So um, what year is it? 51. Nice. 51 Comet. Gorgeous, glorious little thing. It's absolutely gorgeous. So anyway, that'll go by Tuesday, and then I'll start on the uh, the Trident. So there you are. Life at Motortown, always interesting. Seldom profitable. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) But it's a lovely commute, and you have a beautiful view. I mean, my goodness, you got Monterey Bay right across the street. Oh, yeah. Well, I see mostly the freeway, but I benefit from Monterey (laughs) Bay because I get beautiful, clean air. Yeah, and you know, it's I can hear the seagulls. So yeah, I know if the freeway wasn't in the way, I'd have a glorious view of the bay. I can see the bay if I stand on the roof. Nice. 
Yeah. I'm still disappointed you didn't get a giant inflatable gorilla to put on top of it time. You can see the highway one. I'm not saying that's not on the cards. <laughs> All in due time. It, it, I would actually like a giant inflatable evil Knievel. Oh. Yes. Okay. So I can fly like a barrage balloon from <laughs> the building. I will start a GoFundMe if we can make it a, a Sasquatch dressed like evil Knievel. Ooh, a Sasquatch <laughs> fighting evil Knievel. <laughs> Riding on the back of evil Knievel's back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's the one for sure. <laughs> anyway, um, as usual, I've been hogging. I'm gonna. I have. I have been hogging the airways. I'm gonna crunch on my pizza, John. I yes. am very, very interested in a ride report because you got lost in the desert for a few days with Jim, didn't you? I did, and uh, and I, he lived up to his uh, moniker, Naked Jim. I must say, I saw more Jim <laughs> than I expected to see. <laughs> <on the weekend. laughs> <laughs> but, uh, tales out of school now. <laughs> <laughs> what stays in the desert? What goes on in the desert stays in the desert. Um, yeah, we had a blast, man. We went out to the desert north of Reno, and uh, you know, it sounds like it's horribly hot, but the weather was absolutely perfect. I mean, warm enough in the daytime to just kind of get warm and cool at night. It's kind of everything you'd want, I think, in the weather. Um, except for the smoke, that's a whole nother conversation, but the, we could see the fires in the mountains, like Jim said, it looked like Mordor over on, on the hills. So that's kind of sad, but yeah, wow. three, three awesome days. Um, you know, I had some, some interesting bike things happen. We'll get into that a little bit, but, uh, yeah. What, do, what about you, Jim? What do you think? Yeah, it's a school, it's a cool spot. Yeah. I was stoked we went. I was really excited to have John along. Um, you know, cause a lot of times I go adventure off by myself, which is cool, but it's always nice to have someone else come along. So we rolled out to a place called Moon Rocks, which is uh, about 40 minutes out of Reno. Um, and it's known for uh, Jeep crawl stuff. So if you know you do the Jeep crawler stuff up the boulders, you know, all that crazy stuff, it's known for that. But it's also vast BLM land. And I'm a big yeah. fan of BLM land, especially since they closed all the national forests in California, if you didn't know. Yeah. So they yeah. closed all the national forests in California. Um, so there's nowhere else we could go. So we decided to head out uh, to this place I'd been before in Nevada. Yes, very nice. Um, sorry, I'm being distracted on purpose. Quite lovely. Um, we we went to this place in Nevada, and um, oh, I'm sorry, BLM land. Sorry, I got slightly distracted. So it's just vast open desert, but it's up at about four thousand feet. Um, so you, there's mountains all around and desert all around and everything else. So it's really cool. Basically, the signs like BLM land, you know, America, do what you want. So it was pretty cool from that perspective. Um, so I got there, um, just drove out about five miles out into the desert, trying to find a place because it's one of those spots where you're, if you're close in on the road, there's like, there's burn pallets everywhere, there's shotgun shells everywhere. So I went further deeper out into the desert a little bit to find a spot. So found a cool spot, um, posted up, waited for John to show up. Um, which he did. Um, yeah, and then we went for a, and then we, we went for our first ride out in the desert. So I, yeah. I'm really interested, Jim. I mean, you're getting to be an old hand at this. However, is this your first kind of big ride on the new bike? Yeah, this is the first ride on the new bike. So I'm, I, I broke the bike in on the trip, which I thought was kind of cool, like just because I've been breaking it in. And I was close to being done, but I thought it was kind of cool to finish the break in, rip it through the sand. 
so yeah, it's the first time I got to take the uh, the big so, bike out. Jim, what were you riding? Okay, so 2022 CRF 450 RL, Honda CRF 450 RL. Um, yeah, so I think it's basically it's kind of your modern day desert sled, uh, purpose built. You know, it's a Dakar winning race bike. You know the the history of it anyway, right? The, it's got the, the 450, uh, CRF 450R chassis, detuned motor, that kind of thing. So it was proper. It was a proper bike. I had it sorted out with Moto Z, uh, Moto Z Desert HTs. So yeah, yeah, that bike with those tires. And I, I, I thought I'd put myself in pretty good shape anyway, you know, to give it a shot. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, the first day John came in a little bit in the evening. Um, I just been kind of putting around, you know, getting the little site sorted up. And then, yeah, John and I went for a ride. I don't know if John wants to talk about this, but I'm going to make them. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, so the first ride out, I was feeling it, you know, as I was, I was feeling in the rhythm and, and I was on my little XT225. So I was like the other side of the spectrum from Jim's awesome race bike. Um, but, uh, you know, we hit the first thing we did is we hit some of those because the, the rock crawlers hadn't gotten in yet. I was able to get up into the area where the rock crawlers go, which is fun. And the XT is perfect for that little sort of single track kind of, you know, zipping around there. So we did that for a while. And I forget where else we went and we jump back on the main road. And I hear I hear vibration. And I'm like and then something happened and I grabbed the brake and there's nothing there. And I'm like, oh, shit, what happened? So um, so I was able to. Uh, so I finally got it stopped. And uh, I looked out and look, and the calipers just hanging there on the side. So, uh, you know, you got you got to blame it on the shoddy mechanic work um, that uh, that somebody did at the recycle garage, which would be me. Um, and uh, when I <laughs> when I uh, changed the shock springs to stouter springs last couple of weeks ago, I put everything back together. And I was really careful on the four, on the triple tree and all the other. And I and I think I just set the brake, and for whatever reason, I didn't go back and tighten it torque it down enough so it just it just fell out so the crazy thing was like um you you, you got um yeah hey jim mute yourself um oh i'm sorry what's that <laughs> yeah so you got um, oh i guess we'll have to edit that so the two bolts fell out so i figured i'm gonna run in I, i'll run into uh to reno and try to find them but of course nobody stocks them and i should have i should have called emma um but uh and i because i went to the hardware store and just bought every bolt i could find and none of them fit so finally, I decided, you know what? And this is Jim's idea. It's like, what do you need a front brake for in the dirt? I'm like, hey, that's a good idea. So I just pulled the caliper off and, and zip, zip tied the uh, the hose up and off off I went. So I'm so. going to give everyone, it's time for a Motorcycles and Misfits top tip. If you were doing a big job on your bike and John, a week before you left for the desert, you had the whole front end off your bike, didn't you? I did, yeah. Right. So if you're doing a big job on your bike, go to Office Depot, go to a hardware store, go anywhere and get a little bottle of whiteout mm -hmm. the brush or the one that's like a marker pen. Go over every time you tighten up a bolt and torque it to spec, Put a dot of white paint on it. Yeah. And as long as you use the white out, when you first wash your bike, it'll all white off, will wash off. And that way, you know what you've talked and what you haven't. Now, the manufacturers do this in the factory. 
And we yeah. were talking about this, John. You know, yeah, back yeah. in the old days, Honda would mark everything with a little dot of yellow paint. And I got wise to this, as, a, as did a few of us who were restoring the early Honda bikes. And, of course, we figured out what color the actual Honda paint was, and nice. we duplicate it to make the bikes look more original. And, you know, it was kind of hokey, but it worked. Nowadays, Honda do exactly the same thing, but they use a water-based paint. And then the final stage of the assembly is the bike gets washed and everything gets washed off. But Ducati in particular, they use these self, little self-adhesive colored dots, like hmm. little bit of paper. And they are everywhere, even including on Vespas, um, particularly on components. And you'll see three or four of them post put over one another, you know, because yeah. they've just through so many stations. But that's a top tip. And something like that could make sure that it doesn't happen again. Because yep. you would look yep. down at your caliper and you'd see there are no white dots on it. And you think, I need to get a torque wrench on that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, John and I were talking about that. We came up with um, what, what was it? Good ideas, good good ideas for bad dirt bike riders. Yep. Right? <laughs> as, as I'm riding the whole time, I'm like, oh, that that was a good learned lesson learned. But back to what you were speaking to, Emma, and the white dots. I've had, I have a little white ink, you know, white paint pen, right? Like Milwaukee or something made for riding on steel, what have you. Yeah. And every time, so with this bike, but every time I touched anything, I put a piece of, I, I dotted it with white. But I also kind of touched it to where it would touch the frame or whatever else it's connected to. So then I can, and it'll stay there. So then if I see anything rotating, whether it's an axle nut or a handguard bolt, right? Then you know it started to move from a place it was at. And it's funny, while we're out in the desert, I was watching John's shit fall off all over the place because <laughs> I'm like, hey, bro, you ain't got no rear brake either. The, the, nope. the wheel nut had worked itself off and the barrel came out. The, the, the oh, no. break rear thing it was just laying on the ground. I'm like, oh man. Um, but so I started walking through my bike. I'm like, probably a good idea for me to check mine. And as we know, Honda, everything they touched had a white dot on it. So then as I gently touched everything, um, it had a white dot on it too. So then I could just visually look. I didn't even have to like check. I could just look and as long as the white dots were in the right spot. It was sorted out. So that was like a, that, that's my bad, I'm a bad dirt biker tip of the week is the white paint is great just to know in your head that you actually touched it. Because what, what I've also done, last thing is I've over tightened things because I'm like, wait, did I tighten that enough? And then I tighten a little bit more, which you right. need to do. And that's the rookie mistake, particularly on a smaller bolt. You know, your M6, your M8s, you'll tighten it. And generally, if you haven't got a tight, uh, uh, you know, the, it's it's actually rare bolts falling out. So what happened to you, John, was actually quite rare. Usually what happens is people will over-tighten them off the bat, particularly smaller ones. You know, M6 yeah. bolts, I have lost count the amount of times the guys have come into my shop and said, oh, I was tightening up this bolt and I broke it off. Um if you're tightening up an M6 bolt, now an M6 bolt is the diameter of the thread, which means it's either going to have a 10 millimeter head or an 8 millimeter head. There's no need to use anything larger than a quarter inch drive ratchet on that. 
Even a three-eighths drive ratchet is too big. Yeah. I mean, because like, you look at the you look at the torque values for like a, an engine side covering. Aren't oh, they're low. like nine pounds or eight pounds or something. Yeah, exactly. Like it's nothing. Yeah. You know, you set your torque wrench to to eight pounds, you can barely feel it. Yeah, I think John had his set to, to two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, and it, if you use the click like I like, I mean, one of these days I'll graduate to a digital one, but you know, I've still got the click. Um, you can barely feel anything under 10, but you, you know, it's, it's practice. You feel it, but generally mm -hmm. the rule of thumb is I've got quarter inch drive ratchets. I've got three eighths drive. I've got half inch drive and I've got three quarter for the big boys and the three quarter. I almost exclusively use on Ducati rear wheel nuts. You've got this giant 36 millimeter nut. Actually, it could be, no, I think it's 46 millimeter. It's 46 millimeter nut that holds the whole rear wheel on. And I've got this giant three quarter drive Tommy bar. that's as tall as I am. And you just, you know, and undo it. Um, but yeah, so you tighten this thing up, you think, boom, and it's already over tightened. Then you go and have a cup of tea and you think, oh, did I tighten up that bolt? So you go out and give it another turn. And then, you know, your yeah. wife, husband, son, daughter, dog starts yelling at you, or your cat starts yelling at you. Wow. And then you think, oh, did I tighten up that bolt? And you go out and you ding. Ooh. That's the noise. Ding. Ding. Oh. <laughs> you know, so, it's yeah. easily done. So don't beat yourself up too much, John. Buy a decent torque wrench and... Um, I don't even know. You call it Tipex in England. You ever heard that term? Mm. Tipex is white out. Oh. But buy some tiny little bottle of white out and a torque wrench. Can't go wrong. So but my the other thing is, is John parlayed, parlayed this into an awesome, what, couple of days of riding. So yep. after we got that, we just took the brake off, um, put the rear brake back on, and then we were we were riding. And I thought that the riding was stellar. Um, it was. Like, like I said, it's open, kind of open, open desert with mountains in the background. Normally, you can see forever. Uh, we did see the eastern edge of the Dixie Fire, so we, we were. I was like, oh, "What is that? That's kind of concerning." Uh, but wow. it was gorgeous. You know, it's uh, there's free range cattle. So we woke up one morning and you hear the moose unzip the tent. And there's a bunch of cows. Like I think they were just curious because there's plenty of room out there. I think they just want to kind of <laughs> check this out and pretend to eat at the same time. Um, but it's really, it was really cool riding. I think um, it was, it was, it was sandier than I remembered it. It was a lot of sand. It was a lot um, of sand. Yeah. So the learning curve is, well, it wasn't terrible. We spent some time getting used to it on the road. Um, but once you get off, you know, into the trails, you know, it's pretty much, you're going to be eating sand whether you want to or not, because you really don't yep. know where you're going. You know, we didn't bring paper maps because it's kind of hard to get lost. Um, kind of. Kind of. Um, but, but it, so, um, yeah, it's a really nice, nice variety of riding. The weather was perfect. Um, but that wasn't the only mishap because John, we yeah. had to do another repair. <clears throat> yeah, so there's a, what was it, Jim? Top tips for bad dirt bikers? Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, bad dirt bikers, top tips. So my my next top tip is make sure you got um, emergency stuff with you, meaning that one of the things I bring with me, I found these really cool metal cable ties. Um, so I carry the, the regular plastic ones and I carry these metal ones. And the metal ones are great because you can barely break them. Um, so I was able to use those to fix the, the, the rear brake, which was, you know, it was the perfect thing to have. So carry the right stuff with you. The other thing you want to carry is JB Weld or something like it. 
Yeah. Um, so, so what happened, um, right. We were coming down a Sandy trail and uh, I was, I was a ways back behind Jim and I'm coming down the trail and I clipped a, a big rock. Um, and I, and I went down and rent, it was Sandy. So I didn't get hurt and I didn't realize. So I just kind of looked at everything, picked the, picked the bike up, kept going. And I think it was near the end of the day. And, uh, and, or I think we were talking about going to somewhere else. I'm like, I was, I'm just going to go back to camp. So I, we went back to camp and as soon as I got back, I looked down at my boot and it was caked in oil. Oh, I'm like, Oh crap. So, you know, I called Emma like in a tizzy freaking out and she kind of talked me through some of the things to look at. And eventually Jim walked over and he went, I think there's a pinhole leak right there. So what happened was is in the, the cover for the, where the oil filter sits, um, it was a million dollar shot actually. Cause I think if it hit anywhere else in the engine, it would have been a whole nother ball game, but it hit there and there was a tiny pinhole leak in there and it just shot all the oil out throughout the time. And, and wow. when we got back to camp, there was nothing, basically no oil left. So I was, you know, so I got real lucky with that, but JB yeah. melted it up and, put oil back in it and i was like okay we'll see what happens and it ran like a champ the rest of the weekend so do you remember what i told you john i said two things, things about oil it goes it always goes down oil. you said it always goes down and back right when you've ridden as enough british bikes as i have you become an expert on oil leaks <laughs> oil cannot move upwards oil leaks so you look for the highest point and that's where it's leaking from. That's the latitude. And then the longitude, generally, unless you ride your bike backwards, oil's not going to move forward. Now, somebody's going to say, oh, it can spray forward. And that is true. And if your oil is spraying, just kill the engine. Yeah. Um, but generally, as a rule, if it's leaking or misting, it's not going to go up. It's not going to go forward. So you look for the highest point and the frontmost point. And everything should lead to there. And it, Jim, kind of, you kind of jumped on top of it. Yeah, I've, I've blown up a motor without oil in it before. So that's kind of where you start. But yeah, I mean, it's always there. And plus, I've seen this. I mean, the, it seems like the number one repair I've done out riding in, in, the, you know, in the mountains and the desert here, it's a J, it's a, well, actually a steel stick. It's a steel stick, either an engine cover or in this case, a full oil filter cover. But that's a real common thing is you drop it on the side and box are point. They're all they're all pointing and they're all over the place. So, yeah, JB Weld and some, you know, uh, safety wire or those zip ties John had. And good to go. So it was a good repair. I mean, that shit works great because there's no yeah. pressure on it. Right. So we cleaned right. it up, dropped some on there, a little silly putty on there. And we rode for probably another 180 miles. I told him, I said, just sand it down and paint it black. No one will ever know. <laughs> you yeah. know, so my question to you, John, Jim is in his happy place. Mm -hmm. I know for a fact, if I was to say to Jim, I'm your fairy godmother. I can wave a magic mm -hmm. wand and I can let you do whatever you want to do all day, every day for the rest of your life. He chose to be riding a motorbike in the desert. That's his happy place. This was your first time. So you got the experience. You got the bike failing experience. You got the getting shitty experience. You got the sleeping in a tent under the stars experience, being miles from anywhere. Are you a convert? Well, a couple things. So my wife and I have done a lot of overlanding in four by fours. Right. So, which is usually in desert 
so I've already been a lot. I spent a lot of time out in the desert. So that, so I had yeah, that but that's shelter. Zone. A four by four is still shelter. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I'm a convert. I'm you know I did go riding last year a couple times in, in Utah. So I have been out in the desert out there right. also. But that was on the KLR. It was a whole different experience. Um, with the, but after riding it on the XT, um, yeah, I'm 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 a convert. I mean, I because honestly, I, I mean, I love riding on the street. That's been what I've been doing mostly for most of my life. But um, but there's just a freedom in the dirt. You know, slow seems fast. Um, you know, you take chances, but taking chances at 15 miles an hour is different from taking chances at 75 miles an hour. Right. Um, and uh, you know, I mean. You could you can still hurt yourself real bad for sure, but but you know you're not dealing with other other cars and speed limits and all that stuff. So yeah, I love it. I mean, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep doing it. It's, it's gonna be my new uh, my new passion. So are you, are you happy with the 225? Are you looking for more horsepower? Yeah. Yes and no. So I'll, uh, let me talk about that for a second because I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, you know, Liza really kind of pushed me to look at the 225 because um, I'm a big guy. I'm not I'm not skinny. You know, I, I, I'm sure I weigh as much or more than that bike itself. So I was a little concerned about, um, you know, about it not being enough. And uh, but what I will say about it is, yes, it's slow. It's certainly slow compared to Jim's bike. Um, and it and it won't blast up mountainsides and stuff like his bike will do. But that thing will get you just about anywhere you want to go. And I was super happy with that. I mean, it's I was slower than Jim, but I was coming along on the backside. And, and you know, right. the comparison between riding my KLR in that situation and this is a world of difference. So confident, my confidence level is way up because I'm because I'm an OK rider. I'm not a horrible rider, but I feel like a horrible rider on the KLR. <laughs> so hmm. um, yeah, it's a lot different. I mean, we learned yeah. some. So this is very uh, there's a lot of hill climbs, which means there's a lot of downhills. Right. Some of it can be hard and rocky and ruddy. Yeah. Some yeah. of it can just be straight up granular sugar as deep as you, you know as can be and i remember there was one section where it was a long ass downhill if we had known how long it was we went oh down. yeah and it was just never ending and a lot and it's a lot of whoops so it's sandy downhill whoops just as far uh -huh. as you can see and then uh, i think you i think you, ate, you you fell over one time which we all do at sand right yeah and then you got up and i could tell you you couldn't find your groove and like I, <laughs> yeah and there's nothing worse than trying to get going again downhill in the sand when you can't quite get your groove because it's right. so exhausting. But I tell you, that little bike, you know, we did some, you know, not really hard stuff, but hard enough, um, you know, long sandy uphills, things that are, you know, demanding um, and just thick sand. Um, and that bike chugged up everything. I mean, yeah, yeah. John was never far behind me. I, um, I think the name is very, very appropriate because unless you actually look it up, people don't realize about the name of that bike. It's actually called a Cerro. Mm -hmm. You don't hear it much. Now Yamaha just tell it, sell it as the XT225, but in every other market, it's the X2, XT225 Cerro. And a Cerro is a mountain goat. And that describes that bike perfectly. It is not the fastest thing in the desert, but it's got, with a technique, you can go anywhere on yep. it. Awesome yeah. the only time it was a little hard was like there's a couple of really long uphills we were doing and i would start out in, in second kind of pinned it and then about two-thirds of the way up depending on how sandy it was it would, it would lose power so i have to downshift the first and that downshift is tricky so i, I did get a little wonky on, on some of that so we'll be nice to right. pull the whole hill in second but you know it's just like emma you just said it's technique and and but i will say you know another top tip for bad dirt bikers is um 
and I'm learning this. My this, uh, this is freshly new for me, so I'm not well, not some expert. But I think buy a bike that fits you, and get really confident on it, and then step up. It's the same right. thing on the street. We're talking about the rebel. Um, you know, and I can see people look at me on that because that's it's like a monkey humping a football with me on top of that bike. But, um, but uh, you know, but uh, and I will step up eventually, but not until I really can can feel completely comfortable and, and ready to go. So I'm super glad. I, uh, Liza was right. She's not here, so I I can say this. She was right. Okay, we'll erase that later. But um, but you know, hey, if you're thinking about doing dirt bike stuff out there and you want to sort of get into it, don't go out and buy a you know, 450 like Jim has, go out and buy something a little bit smaller that fits you and learn how to ride it well and then, then step up. Because most, most of us go in there, we're all in the cheese mode. We want to like buy the biggest bike in the area and think we're going to rip like Ricky Carmichael. But right. That's not the truth. You know, it ain't going to happen that way. You know, what, is, what is cool about you go out there is you get to see other motorsports. And we saw some of the Jeep crawlers and all that. One of my favorite moments is we had just done a hill climb and this is the last day, just got this hill. Took off our helmets, just take a break and took look in the scenery because you can see forever. It's gorgeous. And then you hear, brah, 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 brah. you hear two stroke man somewhere. Where is it? You hear the echoing. <laughs> and then two stroke man doesn't ride trails. No. Two stroke man just rides. So we make trails. Line, and it's literally just scrub and desert and just steep as can be. And it was so cool to watch him. You know, it was probably yeah. a good 30 seconds of him ripping up this, this super sandy hillside. Then gets to the top and disappears somewhere. So it's cool to see that kind of. I mean, we, you know, John and I ride pretty chill, but it's cool to see people that can really ride tear that stuff up. Yeah, yeah. And you know, um, I'd like to finish this segment by saying what a testament it is to Honda build quality. You came down to the garage on your 450 today, Jim, and yeah. after yeah. a hard, how many days in the desert? Well, four, three, yeah, four days yeah. and then uh, four days. Two hundred. Yeah, the whole bike looked brand new. Well, it didn't need shit, so that's that's something different. Um, but yeah, <laughs> and I tell you, that thing's a beast. I mean, obviously, it's almost purpose built for what I was doing, like a modern day desert sled. Um, right. But I tell you, that, that's what gave me the confidence. Anytime I got into something odd, it was just pick your eyes up, pick your eyes up, and just keep rolling. And the bike would just gobble up everything. So, um, well. Yeah. I'm glad you're both safe. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed it, John. I don't even need to ask if Jim enjoyed it because I know he did. But cows, cows you, were my alarm clock. It was awesome. Yes. Um, John, you mentioned Liza, which segues me into, you know, there is an elephant in the room and Liza Not is her. missing. Yeah. Where is Liza? Where on earth? Well, I'm going to tell you. She's yes. in Pakistan. Um, she flew out on Thursday, I believe. Was it Thursday or Wednesday? Yeah. And she's gone completely dark. Nobody has heard anything about Liza until about an hour ago. Aha. Uh -huh. She posted on Facebook, and it's a great picture. So um, Liza's doing her Chikistan tour in Pakistan right now. I know she's got there safely. Um, I know she's got a happy band of, of people. I think Michelle Lamphere's out with her. She is, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, nice. which is great. Michelle's always great company. However, back in 2015, um, a Pakistani girl, a girl called Zenith uh, Irfan, yes. did 
a tour on a motorcycle. And back in 2015, girls simply didn't ride motorcycles. It just wasn't the thing to do. It's very different to how it is today. And this young lady became something of a celebrity overnight. And apparently she came out to meet Liza at the airport and wish them all safe travels, which is an incredibly big deal. That's wonderful. So it is wonderful. And so we know Liza's safe and she appears to be smiling in the picture I saw, which is always good. Um, and so safe travel. She's away for three weeks. So you're going to have to put up with us amateurs for this and at least another two podcasts. So, but, um, but, but you know what's helpful for us amateurs is there's something called Fix My Hog. And uh, it's just important for amateur mechanics, especially if you're Harley, to, to know that Fix My Hog is out there. Because, you know, the question is, is, does your clutch need adjustment? Have you been putting off, you know, installing all these new handlebars because you're just not sure about the wiring? If you're interested in doing that, Fix My Hog can help. And they have an amazing offer because they're part of our community. It says sign up for this Fix My Hog premium membership with this exclusive Motorcycles and Misfits deal. And you'll get a free, you get a full year, a full year of premium membership for only, guess how much, everybody? How much, John? Three dollars. That can't be right. Three dollars. I mean, you can That's barely buy a $300 value. It's and it's more than a cup of coffee at Star. It's less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. So go buy yourself a cup of coffee and a membership. You're still under seven bucks, and life is good. So, but that's because that's ninety-seven to six percent off the normal price. So go to Fix My Hog slash Misfits. Then take advantage of this great offer. The discount will be automatically applied at checkout. And what we're what they're really wanting to do is they want you to join. They're inviting you to join a community of passionate riders who are committed to mastering their wrenching skills. You just heard about my issues. Don't be like John. Go to Fix My Hog. The premium membership will get you uh, get access to hundreds of full-length instructional videos led by Master Harley Davidson Mechanics. The videos are focused on helping you develop the new wrenching techniques and getting you uh, inspired to complete new projects and put little spots of white paint on all the nuts that you, uh, that you do there. So once again, sign up for the Fix My Hog premium membership for just $3, everybody, for the entire year at, at uh, Fix My Hog dot com slash misfits well cool bloody blimey um i tell you what when i first heard about that because they are sponsoring our show which is why we're pushing it but in order for me to speak with some degree of knowledge about this i actually went on to fix my hog and looked at the quality of the videos they are amazingly high. And from a mechanic's point of view, these are the real deal. The people who are actually making these videos, they're not like somebody in their shed who's like Bubba fixing his bike with a pair of scissors and a hammer. These are master Harley techs. And motorcycle mechanics is, is tricky. When you get up to professional level, it's almost like you talk a different language. And you work in a different way. So what these guys have done that is so clever is they're master techs, but they explain things and they show you things that the mechanic at home can do with mechanic at home tools. It's absolutely brilliant. I would say if you have a Harley Davidson and you don't subscribe to Fix My Hog, 
for an annual membership of three dollars you are a very good candidate for a lobotomy Absolutely. yes so and they, sad they don't have i wish they had fixed my goat and that would help me with my 225. oh but i'll help you with your mountain goat john oh, i'll help you yeah. i'll help you with your little goat <laughs> thank you so um john we we are going to be doing a little bit of a shortened show because without liza you know we're all just really quite feeble without her aren't we, <laughs> we are. now you threatened to have some emails did you find any nobody emailed us that i could find so wow. no okay so i'm gonna make up an email right now <laughs> dear misfits dear misfits um I am calling, um, no, uh, uh, I am writing to you from Wisconsin, where they make cheese, and go to Green Bay Packers games. Uh, my bike is running very, very poorly. Can you help? It has two wheels and an engine. P.S. Bagel is the most handsome man alive. Well, I'm not sure whether we can oh. help, really. Can we well, can we help with that? Running very um, poorly. May I suggest not putting cheese in the tank? Ah, you see, that would be it, yes. Or wearing a giant cheese cone on your head. Probably, you know, the wind resistance from the cheese cone on your head is slowing you down. <laughs> Perhaps. Yes. Oh, we we had a stretch crom today, didn't we? Not to get off the top. Oh god. So me and Jim are sitting in the chairs just talking the most appalling crap with each other. Oh, and we Cheech and Chong movies. Yes, we were watching Cheech and Chong movies. Well, <laughs> this ice cream truck went past, and he'd got the rims on it, and he'd got it slammed, and it was cool. And I said, you know, that looks like the van in Cheech and Chong. Was it playing Lowrider? <laughs> well, you, hang on, yes, because Jim says, oh, that's like the ice cream van from Sweet Dreams. Yes. And I said, no, it's not. It's like the van is from up in smoke, the big green van. So <laughs> we each compared videos. And then we heard this appalling revving that ah. sounded like, um, it sounded really like a generator that had just done a line of coke. <laughs> and this drum appeared. Stretch <laughs> 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 drum. And the swing was so long, the back wheel was actually behind the seat. Huh. Yep. Yep. And he got it lowered as well. It was brilliant. Crazy. Quite, quite. And also quite loud. Well, I actually have an email, um, which uh, Liza forwarded to me last week, but uh, we didn't get a chance to uh, to read it. Well, I'm sure it's better than mine. All right. Or... um, Oh, wait, actually, we did read this. This is about the liability insurance in Canada. Didn't we read, read that one? No, we didn't. I don't remember that one. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, I thought we did. Okay, never mind. Oh, okay. My bad. Oh, well, so we don't have any emails. Um, mm. We have been going for an hour, and I think at risk of upsetting people, um, I think that's going to be it for this week. I mean, it's it's a very, very shortened podcast. And I really do apologize to our lovely listeners because you are all wonderful, wonderful people for tuning into us. And particularly our Patreon subscribers who are easily 
superior to every other human on the planet um and not by a small amount either um but without liza we really are just a, a ship adrift aren't we <laughs> we're a couple dinghies mm. adrift at least yes <laughs> <laughs> On the poop deck. <laughs> yes. But I think, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a not inappropriate time to actually finish this debacle before we absolutely start talking shit about everything. You have an anchor on your wall, John, behind you. I I'm did. looking above the light switch. I was. I was on the poop deck. Yes. Oh, you, you are broadcasting from on the poop deck. Well, that explains yeah. it then. Yes. Um, <laughs> so would anyone like to add anything before we uh, say goodbye? Happy Labor Day. All of those like us that toil to afford yes. Yes. riding motorbikes, take tomorrow off and relax. Unwind yep. yourself. Yes. Enjoy the, the day. I've, I've boxed up all my white shoes and they're not going to be worn until next spring. There you go. Yes. So, uh, John, anything to add, darling? Uh, Yeah. Uh, You know, COVID is the real deal. Get vaccinated. Wear a mask. I hate it just like you do. But uh, we'll get through this uh, eventually. So keep your head up, ride motorcycles, and wear a mask. Yes, do the things. Bagels. Uh, Yes, do do all the things. And, uh, man, I got to say, Stella four strokes are a pain in the ass to work on. (laughs) What are? Stella four strokes. <laughs> oh, really? You have oh, to... They're so cute. Well, it's they, because they they're are. made of Chinesium. No, they're not Chinese. They're Indian. They're in but, the, but, but, the, the Indian, Indianium. Yes, Indianium. <laughs> but but to get to the air filter, you need to you need to take off the rear shock <laughs> and drop what? the frame down so you oh, can wow. get the get the air filter out. <laughs> oh, that's not right. Yeah. It's horrible. But it's oh, it, it's 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 doable just uh yeah i've been this is the first time i've done like a full maintenance on the stella because it's only got two thousand miles on it now so well, you know so i'm learning all of the, the interesting uh quirks to it <laughs> you know why that is though don't you and before oh, yeah. we stella or any other indian manufacturer under the bus i'll tell you why that is because it started mm-hmm. off as a very different bike Oh yeah. The Stella started off as a two-stroke Italian PX series. Exactly. And they've developed it into something it didn't start out as. Right. And whenever that happens, whenever you fundamentally change something, yeah, there are compromises to be made. And in yeah. that case, you've got to dismantle the whole back of the bike to get the airbox out. Yeah. So it's you know it's a little bit of a pain, but you know, but it's doable. Um, but yeah, it's for shoe, shoe running a four stroke engine into where a two stroke engine used to be. And, and I, I will have to, I do have to say though, it, it is a, a marvelous amount of engineering that went into this thing. I have, even, even though the, the, the final fit is a little bit quirky, you know, especially when it comes to maintenance, right. um, but, but they've, they fit an enormous amount of engineering, this little tiny little power plant in this bike. And it, and it does remarkably well up to, you know, 55 miles an hour. So in, um, on a slightly related topic, yeah. would you li- like to know how to change the spark plugs in a mid-1970s Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow? Oh, how do you do that? Well, you need an engine crane. Oh, oh no. And you <laughs> under the 
engine mounts and lift the engine up and push it over to the left and change the right spark plugs. And then you push it over to the right and change the left spark plugs. Or, or, or. you take the front wheels off and then you get a three-inch hole saw and you drill <laughs> hole in the inner fender where the spark plugs are, and then you reach through the holes and pull the spark plug boots out and then get your wrench in and take the spark plugs out and then put big fat rubber grommets. In the oh. oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> has, has anyone actually done that? Day. I was wondering about that. <laughs> wow. You know? Yeah, so it could be it worse. Every, it even affects the poshos, darling. Oh, no mm -hmm. doubt. I mean, you know, but they've got money to spend on, on having someone service it, so, you know. Yes, you know, you can I'm imagine concerned. the conversation now. I just wanted new spark plugs in the old Rolls Royce. Would you like to explain this $2,000 bill? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's, seems a bit excessive for spark plugs, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit excessive, a little bit excessive. I'll have to, I'll have to reduce my brand of cigar for the next week or so to pay for them. Oh, well, never mind. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it for this week. Um, have a great week, everyone. Be safe out there. Um, are you commuting into work every day, Jim? Uh, yes, I am. Yeah, and so you're back to every day now? Yep, yep, heading every day. Got field staff, so I'm reporting. But the silver lining is I get to ride the FC1 on right. Highway 17 with moderate traffic. Nice. Basically, oh. I, I'm fortunate in the sense I'm, I'm commuting, but... When, boy, it can be quite a fun commute. Right. Yeah, yeah I go the stuff. other way. I go, I go over nine. So we both are triangulating on the area. Okay. Cool. And so, yeah, uh, be safe, everyone. Um, yes. Enjoy your week. Let's have lots of nice things to report for next week. Yeah, and I, I think that's it. So right. um, this is Emma Darling. Bagel. Thank you, Jim, son. Dumpy John. And we are out of here. Cool. 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 cool.